Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. I'm Barbara Sanofsky, and um, today is Pentecost. And um, before I just unpack that a little bit, I just want to say that you are um, my family. You are my church. You are the people that live in my heart, that I pray for and with, that I love above anyone else in this world, except for other family members who don't attend. But you, you're it, guys. And I just want to tag you with that. You are it. And today is Pentecost. We honor and we remember the Holy Spirit who came so long ago and yet comes again in every moment to unify his church, his people, and to make them family. So I'm going to begin with just a couple of questions. What if our darkest conflicts our darkest perceived divisions become the places where the gospel shines most brightly. What if what unifies us is stronger than what divides us? What if the cross really, truly, actually is that radical, that powerful? You've been hearing from everyone else that as we continue to read through the New Testament, we begin this morning in 1 Corinthians. I was tasked with those first eight chapters, but I am going to just be teaching out of chapter one, those first 18 verses. And very similar to last week when Ryan taught on Romans and unity, here Paul is addressing pretty much the same thing. It seems that we humans, we need to hear about unity more than once. I looked up the word. I like definitions. I love this one. A combination of or ordering of parts, different parts, in a literary or artistic production that constitutes a whole, or it promotes an undivided total effect. And then this other one, it's a totality of related parts, creating an entity that is a complex or systemic whole. And then listen to this two synonyms, you guys, orchestration, symphony. That's what unity is. What if unity is beautiful music? What if the adagio, the slow, the graceful, is as important as the crescendo, the loud, the intense, and every other movement in between? Cymbals, tubas, violins, snare drums, and so many more instruments all playing together because that is what makes the most beautiful music. And what if all the shades and hues of black and brown faces mix their tears with all the shades and hues of white faces and joy and grief could flow together? And what if children and the elderly could play? And what if the traditionalists and progressives were working together to build a bridge that would connect each side with the other crossing back and forth over the living water that flows between them and nurtures both sides. And the poor could teach the rich and the rich could learn. And what if there was room for wheelchairs and straitjackets and doubt and fear? How beautiful. Can you imagine the music 
that that would produce the smile on the face of God. <laughs> I'm going to read just a, I'm going to read a couple of the lines from that scripture a little bit out of context, specifically just to make this point that Paul is talking about unity. You, you, you are called into community to live as saints with all who invoke the name of our Lord Jesus, the anointed. I pray that God, the father and the Lord Jesus, the anointed one will shower you with grace and peace. I am continuously thanking my God for you. I urge you by the name of our Lord Jesus, the anointed to come together in agreement Do not allow anything or anyone to create division among you. I've heard troubling reports that you, my siblings, my brothers and sisters are consumed by fighting and petty disagreements. What I have heard is that each of you are taking sides. Has Jesus, the anointed one, been split up into many small pieces The message of the cross, the reality of being rescued and made right, is it nothing short of God's power? That's what that passage says. Unity. When we are not in unity, we're not living out what we say we believe. That the church, the ecclesia, us, you, me, the called out ones, is a community of believers centered around Jesus. The good news is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Jesus who shows us who God is and like Matt taught us a few weeks ago, let's not throw baby Jesus out with the bathwater, but consider have we made Jesus look a lot more like us than maybe we would care to admit? And while it's important for each of us to feel like we can access Jesus, that he can identify with us and us with him, What if he looked way more like the all-too-Jewish carpenter that he really was? Oh, Jesus, not safe nor sterile. The Jesus who offended regularly. He offended his friends and his foes alike. He never carried the party line. Deborah and Alan Hirsch write this about him. His was a wild holiness that calls to account all who refuse to deal with God preferring instead to follow the lame dictates of a religion of ethical codes and pious rituals. Does this Jewish Jesus who went to the cross on our behalf not love all of us unconditionally and accept us into his family? Or do we have to straighten up and out and fly right before we can be family members? Maybe we need to free him up from our version of who he is, even what he looks like, so that he can relate to each of us, freed to relate to each of us. The point of the incarnation, Jesus becoming human, in order to identify with you and with me. And when I free him, he's this crazy guy. Sinners flock to him like he's a magnet. The religious want nothing to do with him. Seriously. He antagonizes us. And why then does our so-called holiness comfort us and antagonize the sinners? Why is Jesus so different? Doing the unthinkable, hanging with the unclean, and then hanging on a cross. 
His brand of holiness seems dangerous and subversive, yet his outrageous love attracted, and it still attracts. Sinners of all kinds, not ex-sinners. He never separated himself from them. Instead, he embraced and he liberated. Nice guys do not end up murdered on crosses. We try to substitute morals and living decent rule-based lives, but Jesus, he was dangerous. He was not safe. C.S. Lewis says, but he was good. He is good. His outrageous love attracted people. His wild holiness called to the people. It still calls. His love accepted, never condemned. We seem to focus on sin morality, and we miss grace love. He chose always and foremost relationship over rules and regulations. He disturbed the status quo, railed against injustice, hung out with highly questionable types like me, and began a revolution of love. But we want everyone to think like us, don't we? Judging dissenting voices, judging other opinions. We misrepresent Jesus by sanitizing him. And in that process, we live sterile and club-like lives. And then we think Jesus is like us, clean, super spiritual, polite, otherworldly. Instead, he's gritty and hard to handle, real, gutsy, untamed, intoxicating. He is indeed love. And he reserved his harshest judgments for us, for the so-called religious people. And even them, even those, even me, even you, he loves. Always, he includes loving all the people, all of us, love, his heart, and our hearts, faith's truest homes. Paul had a lot of issues with the church at Corinth. He'd heard reports that there's quarreling among them. Some said, I follow Paul. I don't know, not me. I follow Apollos or Cephas, Peter, or I follow Christ. There were factions and there were splinters. This really disturbed Paul because he knew that Christ's body is not divided. And as it says in Mark 3.25, a house divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Paul is asking for unity. Have you ever been part of a club? They exist for high conformity. They can be religious and exclusive. Clubs are designed around consumer values. Church clubs exist to serve my, your spiritual needs. And if they aren't fulfilled, well, I'll just take my tithe and go to another club. They close ranks and marginalize those that are different. Uh, We go to the church club to get fed, but not if we don't like the food. It better be good. Church clubs talk to us by parroting all those things that we want to hear, the things that we can agree with, and then they call that Christianity. They talk about being the same, thinking the same, interpreting everything in the same way, I had an experience with a club once. In fact, several of them. Uh, there was in high school, we had like this series of clubs and they all had Hawaiian names. The club I really wanted to belong to was called Na Hoaloa. 
Jason's going to have to tell me what that means, if it means anything at all. But I wanted to be a part of Nahualoa, and I had to, like, you know, sign a little pledge card. And then I got invited, which was awesome, to this tea. But the minute I walked into the house where the tea was, I already knew I was out. My clothes were wrong. The teacup that I had brought was not real china. <laughs> I think it came, well, um, White Front was the store in those days. Um, and I, I knew I didn't fit in. And those those were my shy days where I didn't use a lot of words. So I can remember sitting on a chair for two hours, trembling, saying not a word, and just being so glad to leave. And I did not get into that club. And then many years later, John and I were taking a golf lesson at a certain country club. And I was told by the pro that my culottes were too short. And that if I came back there again, they had better be below my knee or they were not going to let me in that second time. Rules, conformity, clubs. But Jesus, the wild man, the wild man, he calls us from the community for me to me for the community. He calls us out. Remember Ecclesia? A church. A group of people from many different walks of life, backgrounds and interests, who find their unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of this gospel always is the cross. Religion is undermined and inclusive. Everyone gets to play. Table fellowship takes place between the clean and the unclean. Read Acts 10. A motley collection of imperfect people included in the family of God by means of his grace. And that's just in chapter one of first Corinthians. Our unity is centered in Christ filled with spiritual desperados. Thank you, Alan Hirsch. That follow the untamed and wild way of Jesus, the church, one, holy, messy, God's family, a massive culturally diverse collection of plain, beautiful, dumb, brilliant, LGBTQ, weird, brown, wonderful people, God's family, his own household, where we learn more through our differences than we do by our similarities. The early church had no buildings. They met in homes where they would eat, chat, drink, and be together until late at night. Here's where the gospel, Christ crucified and resurrected, was introduced. It's where it took root and grew Open doors, open hearts, strangers welcomed, hospitality practiced, all of us together finding our identity, our unity in Jesus, belonging together, diverse and different. Unity among God's people requires courage, conviction, clarity, speaking truth, but it does not require sameness. Paul also mentions peace with all of their divisions and problems. Paul wanted the Corinthians believers to experience the kind of peace and wholeness that the gospel provides, whatever the circumstances or difficulties. And this is so important for us today, this week, in this season, whatever the circumstances or difficulties, God calls us to live in peace. And if the Corinthian believers were divided among themselves, the mission and the fruitfulness of the church was in danger. 
For cross, it was for Paul. It was the cross that was the rallying point and the unifier. And there should be no disagreement, disunity, or division about that among the people of God. And let's talk about love again. His love is not always comfortable. It is fierce and sanctifying. It burns. It sears. It will change us. Like Eustace and C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Treader, our scales, they're burnt and ripped off. It reveals our true selves if we allow ourselves to be loved in that uncomfortable, fierce way. It brings us back to our original selves, the one, the self, created by and through through the love of God in the image of himself. Like Jesus, we are called to wild holiness, fragrant holiness, holiness that makes music in our world. Music that allows us to see and hear the holiness in the other, in each other, wild love that allows us to see people, other people as having infinite worth as we are also seen through the eyes of the God who always loves. And then lastly, I want to talk about third way because it isn't just about sexuality. It is the way. It is the way of Jesus. It encompasses everything I've been talking about and even more whether we're more conservative or progressive, our political inclinations, how we feel about money or interpret scripture, our socioeconomic status, our racial identity, whether we like hot sauce or bland food, crazy patterns or denim, pink or blue, pick your favorite point of division. All of the things that have caused Christians to splinter into at least 33 thousand differing denominations in the United States alone. But remember, God, Jesus, is wild. He runs through the boundaries and fences that we build as if they don't exist, because they don't. All are welcome. All are welcome at the table. His umbrella of mercy called the cross is big enough to hold all of it and all of us. In fact, being at the table is what changes us. All are invited. And I'm reminded of the parable here. The master wants to throw a party. And he tells his servants to go invite his friends. But his friends are too busy. But the party is already set up. So he sends the servants out into the streets. And he asks them to invite everyone. The poor, the homeless, the disenfranchised, the mentally challenged. And when he had invited them and he came back, the master said, there is still room, perhaps room for us. Those of us who want others to think like us because we know we're right. To look like us because we know we look right. Darn it, we are just right. And still there's room for more. Unity, wild, reckless, an adventure full of faith. Have some questions. What could potentially threaten our unity at OBCF? Perhaps that question is rhetorical. What steps can we take to ensure that OBCF remains unified? 
How does rivalry with other Christians get in the way of you and I doing God's work in the city, um, in our church, the work of bringing the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven? Are there leaders or persons that you elevate above Christ in your life? Who do you follow? How can we foster unity without compromising the reality of the cross? And consider the relationships you have with others, especially those that you other. What walls have you built between yourselves and those others? You know, the ones you don't agree with. And what actions would we need to take to begin removing those walls? How do we hold one another accountable? How do we love one another well? How do we sit together at the table where we're all invited? First John 4 says this, My loved ones, let us devote ourselves to loving one another. Love comes straight from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and truly knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Because of this, the love of God is a reality among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we could find true life through him. This is the embodiment of true love. Not that we have loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his unique son on a special mission to become an atoning sacrifice for our sins So my loved ones, if God loved us so sacrificially, surely we should love one another in unity. Amen. We hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace to learn to live in love like Jesus.